space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second and contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek Podcast. We're in Season 1, Part 2, Episode 7. We're in Season 2 of TOS Assignment Earth, the last episode of that season. But again, I am not alone. I have called back my good friend Paul. He has agreed to come back on the line for me. Are you there, Paul? I'm here. Yes, I'm here. I don't think I actually went away from the last time. No, you've just stayed on the call. I realised I hadn't hung up from the last episode, so that's always good. Um, how are you, Paul? You all good? All good here, yeah. No uh, no problems, no issues, no Covids. We're all fine here. Now, I don't know if I'm, I'm mentioning, I don't know, I'm probably seeing a bit more stress on you today. It looks like maybe you've been editing a lot more or something like that. Uh, are you working on anything at all? Oh, yes. Yeah, editing, definitely. Um, I had this stupid idea of, of maybe coming back to podcasting after a few years of being away and and two lads press ganged me into into making another podcast with them so uh, yeah some some Dan Daniel Peter Hitch I think is there. no relation to you is he Dan no no I mean I, I had people in my family tree back then but I, I can't remember the name mm, yeah and then some other bloke Van Van der Leehu or no what's his name Van Van der Van der Loo? Is it Vandalay? Vandalaha? Vindaloo, that's his yeah. Vindaloo. Yeah, Prawn uh, Prawn Vindaloo, that's his name. Um, Wait a minute, I think I had a I had a cosmic pizza a couple of episodes with Prawn Vindaloo on it. Hmm. Yeah. Wonder what that would be. Yeah, that'll be it. Anyway. The the, the the two these two guys just sent me this thing and said, Can you put this together? We've we've created this podcast and I've had to edit it and it's uh, it's coming out in a few weeks' time. I, I, I mean, I don't know where we are in, in this timeline and and the pizza podcast timeline. Uh, somewhere along the line, it'll be it'll be out soon, or or yesterday, or tomorrow. Or yesterday. To be honest, time just seems to be folding in on itself at the moment. It feels like I'm all over the place, going backwards and forwards. Um, but here we are. Uh, we've actually reached 1968, but we won't talk about that just yet. We are in uh, the original series, as I've already said. We're going to crack on with the episode and we're going to have some interesting discussions, I'm sure. Uh, take your mind off that cosmic pizza. Right. We jump straight in. Uh, it's a rare treat to not have to worry about uh, timestamps for once because it starts at zero minutes, zero seconds. It's at the beginning of the episode and we open with a captain's log. Kirk is talking about using the light speed breakaway factor. Uh, and how they are being sent back in time for what appears to be a routine time travel mission. Um, that seems rather odd. Normally there's a crisis or a queue involved or some unwitting uh, um, person who's pushing them through time. Um, but here we are, you know, Starfleet is in the time travel business all of a sudden. Uh, any thoughts, Paul? Yeah, and the first time we, we see them doing historical research. I mean... I, I didn't think that was a thing. Maybe, maybe because of this, they they stopped doing it or something. Because there's no real mention of it. You know, that this has ever been happened before. 
if I remember my history records, I don't think 23rd Century was well known for its temporal prime directive. So maybe I've been giving Kirk a hard time in previous episodes. Maybe they weren't uh, playing ball too much, a bit fast and loose. That is true. I mean, you, you'll know that the uh, the temporal police have been after him for a long time, haven't they, because of all of the mistakes he's made. So maybe that was the thing that, that stopped them from doing it again. But yeah, yeah, it's the first time I've I've actually realised that this is historical research. <laughs> now, the light speed breakaway factor um, is a reference to another TOF episode, which we haven't seen yet, uh, but we'll see when we do our rewatch. Um, but it is an allusion to other things for the non-Star Trek fans listening to this podcast. The good thing is, Kirk does mention the exact year, 1968. Now, later in the episode, we're going to come to New York. So I'm going to use that as the focal point of time. But I will sort of mention world events at that point. We open the year in January 1968 as North Korea uh, is making a brand new push against South Korea and US troops as we are still slap bang in the middle of the Vietnam War. Uh, the conflict is constantly going back and forth. Uh, US ship is being commandeered by Korean forces. There is a constant back and forth um, throughout the year. But January sees a brand new push uh, on the Tet Offensive. In New York City, uh, in February, there's actually a garbage strike, and it's worst one in all of Western history. Uh, in fact, it went from 30,000 tons at the beginning of February to 100,000 tons of garbage left on the streets of New York. Quite a whiff, uh, but no sign of it by the time we see this episode, as Gary looks down on the streets, so it must be later in the year when they got it all sorted out. Um, I would not want to have worked to... Um, uh, be anywhere near uh, New York City at that time as they were moving Madison Square Garden in that same month to its fourth location in its current location as far as I'm still aware um, but they were moving all of that infrastructure through the garbage riddled streets of New York sadly by the time we get to April of this year we get a major historical event probably one of the biggest figures in 20th century history martin luther king is assassinated on april the 4th of this year in memphis in may in new york city back again we have a teacher's strike so not only have we had the bin men we've had the teachers now striking as well so everything is falling apart in new york by june we have another assassination a huge figure in 20th century history and we have robert kennedy the brother of JFK, who was assassinated five years earlier. But in June of 1968, Robert Kennedy is also assassinated in Los Angeles. In August, we have uh, Chicago police uh, launch a brutal attack against uh, anti-war protesters. Again, the Vietnam War is at its height. In September, the Miss America pageant is actually protested in massive street demonstrations. And Boeing 747 is first put into service. In October of that year, Nixon is giving a speech at the very same Madison Square Garden. And uh, the Black Power Fist is first raised at a sports event. Now, before we move on, um, obviously, we've had Black Lives Matter uh, happening as we're recording this, Paul. And there's been a few things over the past couple of years of uh, sportsmen taking the knee 
in various sports. And here we are in 1968, we have the Black Power Fist being given in uh, solidarity uh, with uh, all of um, black culture at the time. It's almost like we're living in a time loop. We're seeing the same things happening again. Any thoughts on that bit of time? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it is. It's, it just shows how far we haven't come since 1967 to where we are now. That we are. That we still have the likes of you mentioned that the American footballer Colin Kaepernick, who um, who was protesting against the way you know, the black people and, and ethnic people uh, are treated uh, in the US. Um, by not by not uh, uh, so, you know, taking you know, by not taking the knee and putting his, his hand on his heart and etc etc um, against uh, you know, as a political statement really uh, or mo- more than a political statement it was against the, the government about you know, how they handle things and it's it's sad to see that we still need to do things like that now when you know in the sixties we had a lot of good stuff coming onto the TV showing how you know, you know, uh, racial indifference is stupid, and we should be more caring about um, you know, about the people around us and, and, and who they are, and show more respect to people. Thirty, forty, fifty years later, we're still doing the same thing. I mean, we haven't really moved forward. I say we. There are a lot of people out there that that have, and uh, you know, I think this generation and the things that are happening now will make a big difference. I don't think it's going to take long before we start to see change. Uh, in big ways and better ways um, because of the uh, communication that we have now across the world because of social media um, and I think it's um, it's better now than it was before but we're still seeing the same problems now that we were back then but I I think this has started to show a bit more awareness and and hopefully if we can keep the momentum going then things will change Hmm. Um, along those lines, um, a little uh, TV show in November. Um, I think it, you call it Star Trek in your uh, in your timeline. Uh, where I come from, it's just history. But for some reason, in your reality, it's a TV show. They show the first interracial kiss as well on TV. Um, so yeah, you were just talking about all of our progress. That's right. Yes, I mean uh, Star Trek by by all means was not the first interracial kiss, but it was the first. Yeah, on on uh, a large scale TV network to come out with that, um, and also we had Nichelle Nichols and uh, various other people who, who, in fact, were on the on the show, but not to a lesser degree, um, who made a big step forward. To, and and it, it affected people later on in life as well. As we get into the second uh, generation of the next generation of Star Trek. Uh, actresses there that came on because Michelle Nichols had played this part and they wanted to become actresses and actors uh, because of her. So, yeah, it, but it's it's still taken far too long for that to happen. But a generation within a generation that things you know, can change. So, yeah, it was good. Uh, but you, 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 it's just a television program. I mean, it's 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 not real. Well, it's not really in your universe, but in my universe, it's completely, you know, this is just history. This is just what we already went through. You know, um, people have been kissing and everything for hundreds of years in my time. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. And Star Trek started it all, all this kissing business. I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's it. Um, uh, By December of this year, uh, we're going to go over to a bit of science and a bit of a tie-in with our episode and Apollo 8. It meets um, history as we get the first humans to orbit the moon. 
so we're getting um, real history, real space travel coming in in this year, 1968. Um, any thoughts on the Apollo missions in general? Oh, I could be here all day if you want to talk about Apollo. Uh, yes. I can make it a two-parter episode. That's fine. <laughs> um, oh, I love Apollo. Um, I, I love all of the, uh, the, the the space race in general, really. Um, uh, I will go into that more as we go through the episode and, and, and uh, later on, I think. Uh, but it's, it's interesting that this show just happens uh, as the Apollo uh, program was, was really sort of getting getting hold. And uh, I think it was this year where they went through the first, second uh, unmanned test flights of the Saturn rocket uh, before going to Apollo 8 and t- uh, taking off you know, with, with people on board. So um, interesting that they've actually got footage of this in the show because it is very close to actually, you know, only a few months before it happened. And how they've got access to all of these images and, and, and footage of it all is amazing. <laughs> You mean uh, McKinley Rocket Base? That's the that's the place, wasn't it? Of course, that's right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. it looks strikingly similar to the Kennedy Space Center, but you know, it's very strange. Um, uh, yes, yeah, the Apollo missions just you know they they cement for me the importance of space travel and just the um, the amount of achievement that was done in such a short space of time. Um, again. As we're recording this, we mentioned this in our previous episode, but you're seeing the SpaceX launch and how they're really building on the backs of what was accomplished with the Apollo missions. And obviously they were able to speed up that process and they've done in a year what took 10 years for Apollo to do uh, to sort of get that sort of um, seamless rocket technology. Um Generally speaking for this year, there's no other sort of um, uh, exact dates for this, but the Soviets do implement their Fractional Orbital Bombardment System, or FOBS system. Um, It begins in 1968, and the program lasts right up to 1983, but it's a low-Earth orbital nuclear launch pad system. Now, they were forbidden from actually taking any kind of nuclear um, devices up into orbit, but they had the platform in orbit at the time, the FOBS port port for it. Uh, But they were forbidden from actually taking any warheads up there using the Outer Space Treaty, which I mentioned in my previous episode, which was set in 1967. So if anyone needs to hear about that, we'll talk about that last week. Hmm, Time travel. And... uh, Last but not least, it's a little bit of popular culture. What were the top five uh, singles for this year? We've got two from the Beatles. We have Hey Jude and Lady Madonna. We have uh, Louis Armstrong with What a Wonderful World. We have Jumping Jack Flash from the Rolling Stones and Sitting on a Dock of a Bay by Otis Redding. Uh, All these songs, you'll be pleased to hear, have lasted right into the future with me, and I've heard every single one of them. But those were the top five singles of the year. Any other thoughts on the year, uh, Paul? Any uh, comments or anything like that? My sister was born that year. Oh, well, that's the most important thing. That's fine. Well, I can trace the, the family history when I'm doing this call and everything like that. I can figure out where we are. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's the worst thing that happened to me ever that yeah it's all about perspective it's all about perspective <laughs> I, hope right. I hope she doesn't listen to this <laughs> that's all right i i look at the uh the frequent lists of uh who's listening onto this and there's very few people there's a couple of andorians uh on my uh, uh on my listener uh profiles but that's about it yeah so. that'll be her 
<laughs> no one's. Oh, that could be it. All right. Oh, I was wondering what the antennas were on your head. That makes more sense now. Um, right. We've done our history bit. And we're going to get straight back into the episode right at the beginning. And the Enterprise intercepts a very powerful transporter beam, so much so that it shakes the ship straight away, uh, almost on cue as soon as um, Kirk had mentioned 1968. Now, the transporter beam is coming from almost a thousand light years away, or at least a thousand light years away, according to Spock. It put me in mind of the Kelvin universe, uh, the transwarp beaming uh, that was taking place. Um, uh, it makes me think that because Scotty saw that happen, did that put him in mind of how transports could work on such vast distances? Who knows? Uh, any thoughts on that? In which universe? Exactly. <laughs> in which universe does it happen? But, you know, one of the Scotties came up with it. Maybe yeah. Scotty came up with it then. Maybe that was you Scotty know? in a different universe trying to beam Gary Seven through to the Earth Ooh. and he intercepted it himself. Maybe they don't want to be heard. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's not from a thousand light years away. Maybe it's a thousand light years in the sideways direction. Ooh, that could be fun. That that could be a fun way of doing it. Because as we go through it, I do want to ask you constantly, who on earth sent Gary Seven? But we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, as soon as Gary Seven appears on the transporter pad, he's carrying his cat, who we'll later find out is called Isis. And there's a very heavy-handed villain music playing, uh, as if there's a you know, morbid dread of this person being on board. And it's just a guy in a suit with a cat in his arms. But it does kind of make you feel like he's being set up as the Bond villain of this episode. Uh, any thoughts on that? Very much so, when he beams aboard and he sort of half turns. And <laughs> you think, ah, I've been expecting you, Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he should have had a chair. He should have just beamed in with a chair. That makes so much more sense. Um, we end at uh, two minutes and four seconds to go into the credits. Now, this is the first time we've watched a whole TOS episode. So I will ask you, your thoughts on the TOS credits? You know, where does that rank in your listings of favourite credits? Uh, this, now, this is a bit unusual, this one, because as yourself, you've probably watched it on the Netflix. Um, yeah, oh, yes. And it's the remastered version. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have the remastered version on DVD anyway, but um, but I got that before that they put it onto Netflix. It's a slightly different theme tune. Yes, uh, it, it's noticeable as soon as it comes on. You oh 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 okay, uh, <laughs> and you, you immediately you recognise it because the, obviously the the lady has redone the voice, uh, the uh, oh and all that. I can't go that high anymore, <clears throat> not without surgery. So um, it's it is it is different. I do like. Um, the remastered version of, of all the, the uh, original series. It uh, brings it to what it should have been when it was first made. It's also a lot easier to see the ship because back in the day, of course, it was done in America when they used to have less lines on their TV sets. And when it was brought over here, we had more lines and the picture was all really hard to see and distorted. So nowadays to see a perfect ship going around some fantastic-looking planets... Um, it's it's great yeah i i do like these uh these credits it really is it it still invokes the nostalgia even though it's clearly you know it's got like an uncanny valley element to it that your brain knows it's something different yet it still kind of clips you into the 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 feelings of uh the tos every time you watch it and you're absolutely right that the planets the, the cgi that's been placed into it um, it is vastly different. And yes, on the Blu-ray that I've got, you can switch off 
the special effects so you can watch the original and you can watch the the remastered version and actually i, I do prefer the remastered version it is kind of nice to have it almost up to date with the rest of what is star trek today um so it's quite nice to watch that it does stand out a little bit because obviously some of the uh, 1960s um shots when they're in the studio or whatever it's still not crystal clear and some of the sets are a bit grainy uh, so it does stand out when you go out to the the shot of the ship and it's perfectly beautiful colored and, and all these beautiful planets you can see and you know, the earth looks amazing when you see it but it's proper it, it's as it should be if you were then to go out of this you know, really sort of decent um scene in in the enterprise then go outside and have this um really a horrible fuzzy planet and a ship that's not really you know in focus it's it it doesn't travel well in time this makes it better we come in after the credits and we get a name check straight away for uh, gary seven we see credits for robert lansing it's very rare to have the guest credits inside the episode normally it's at the very end credits um but i think it, it just promotes how there's something different about this episode I'm not entirely sure what it is. It's almost like they're setting this guy up for something. Um, he's uh, perhaps going to be the big bad if we're listening to the music because it's still the uh, the villain music. And uh, he's very calm. He's very um, in control of himself. Uh, and he's straight away asking them to identify themselves, not the other way around. You know, here's this strange man who's just beamed in from a thousand light years away and he's acting perfectly calm as this is just every other day. And it's the the Star Trek crew, the uh, Enterprise crew, who are sort of thrown off. And I think this is a thing that sort of goes through the whole episode. It almost seems like the crew are not exactly at their best all the way through. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought Captain Kirk was very indecisive. Mm. Um, he couldn't make his mind up quickly enough. Um didn't know what to do, how to take it, should he, is this guy a good guy, is he a bad guy, I can't do anything until I find out more. Very unusual for him where he normally just goes straight in and, and you know, will, he, he's like, you know, judge, jury, executioner, he will, he will sort out the problem straight away and meet out the justice. Uh, this, no, he was very unsure of himself, didn't know who, he felt it, it was the first time he, he sort of stepped back and went, I'm, I'm not in charge here, this guy's in charge. So, yeah, it was unusual, very unusual to see him on the back foot. Yeah, it, it it sort of threw him for just off kilter as if there was, I don't know, there's something about Gary pres- Gary's presence on the Enterprise that has somehow changed him. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, throughout the episode, I'm always thinking, you know, our, our crew should have figured this out by now. You know, it should have gone through. Um, and as we find out later on, Perhaps if they just dug into the records a little bit better, maybe they would have had the answer there and then. But we'll come back to that again uh, later on. Uh, he claims to be human and he claims to be from the 20th century. Now, we find out a little bit later that's sort of a lie in the fact that he is a descendant of people from 6000 years ago. So technically, he's not really from the 20th century. He's probably the, the descendant of at the same time as the 20th century, but he isn't a human from Earth. He's actually been sent here from a hidden planet. And this puts me in mind of the TNG episode, uh, When the Bow Breaks, the Hidden Cloaked Planet. And it made me think of, you know, is it another version of that society? Is it another planet that they somehow uh, hid? 
I did uh, go into the episode again. I don't like doing this for the podcast, but I did go into the episode notes to try and sort of look at the production stuff behind it. And apparently there was a Voyager episode that was planned to be tied into this, where it was uh, some aliens um, called the Aegis, I think they were called. Uh, and it was going to explain a little bit more of Gary's backstory. Maybe not meet Gary, but you know, the aliens who'd sent him. But that was abandoned because they realised, hang on a minute, they've got the technology to send Voyager home. So they're not really going to do anything about that. But I did think, well, what if they're the same race as this TNG um, uh, alien race that came through? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it would have been okay to put it into Voyager and they could have just talked around the fact that they weren't going to send them you know, to the machine's broken down at the moment. Can't can't do it. <laughs> There's a little sign on a piece of string saying "out of order." Out of order. Yeah. Be back yeah. five minutes or well, five centuries. You know, that's it. <laughs> yeah, the repairman's not available till Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> um, the they do discuss the uh, critical point in history. That this 1968 is going to be the most critical point in all of history, ever, at any point in time. Um, do you think that after all the things I've just listed in our history talk, that it is the most critical point in history? I think they were, he was overplaying his hand a bit there, uh, Mr. Seven, trying to beef up his importance and saying, you know, if you stop me doing what I'm going to do, the whole earth will be destroyed. And uh, <laughs> you know, the start of World War Three, eh, the fact that it didn't happen, should have, <laughs> you know, I mean, Captain Kirk stood there, so maybe it didn't happen. You know, a bit of a clue there, but anyway. Um, yeah, I think I think he's just trying to beef up his role a bit and say, "Hey, look, you know, I need to get down there and do this." So. <laughs> Clearly, Starfleet agreed with uh, Gary Seven because they sent him back to look at 1968 um, for this historical research. So, although maybe someone in the temporal archives realised, "Hang on a minute, we need to send the Enterprise back so that all of this plays out." Who knows? Um, there's a little scuffle. Uh, Isis the cat attacks one of the red shirts, doesn't kill him but does give him a good scratching. God, I know uh, how that feels. <laughs> and um, uh, Gary takes over, or managed to overpower, five crewmen, including Kirk. Um, he used the best Kirk foo he could try at the time and couldn't take him down. And Spock tries the nerve pinch and it doesn't work. So clearly this is a human, but he's not a completely normal human. Um, this next scene after they've incarcerated gary they're trying to figure out what's going on they're trying to get um a readout from all of the station heads on the ship and rather than having everyone in one room having a talk as they normally do in star trek they have a little conference room scene everyone's sat around the table it was almost like they've got more of a budget for this episode because they're having screens and shots of people relaying the information as Kirk's sitting at the table, but everyone else is still at station. Um, any thoughts on that? Do you sort of pick up that they were, I don't know, they were given something a little bit more to do the special effects this episode? There was a lot of stock footage being thrown in, so maybe they saved a bit of money on that and you know, they <laughs> diverted the budget to other parts. Yeah, so I, I think yeah, I think could it could well have been. But I, I have to say, I, I do quite like this way of conferencing. It, it kind of reminded me of what we're going through at the moment with COVID. Everyone's Zoom calling and everything. Everyone's sending in their information without actually being in the same meeting room. One thing I remember is when Scotty is called and uh, he walks across the screen and, and the camera follows him. And I thought, oh come on, oh wait a minute, Skype can do that now. <laughs> so I thought, oh yes, it is. Oh my God, another another thing that Star Trek has predicted. 
Skype calls, Zoom conferencing, but as you as you move, your camera will follow you. It, it, it's a, it's a really strange thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like they should do that more often in Star Trek, rather than having the conference room. Give it a little bit more, you know, dynamic. Use a few more sets at the same time. Have everyone talking together. Can you, can, di- can you imagine people on the bridge uh, of the next generation? All sat there putting on headsets and putting the screens on because they're all in the same room and one's in the conference room and the other's down in the galley and one's at 10 forward having a drink and the other's in his room having a shower. <laughs> Where's Riker? Uh, he's turned off his, ca- his camera. Again, yeah. and, uh, can't actually get any feed on there. Yeah. Where are you, Riker? Is that a backdrop? Uh, yes, it's a backdrop. I am not in the holodeck at all. Is and that number one? <laughs> yes. And there's Captain Picard looking at the big screen in front of him like, with all these hundreds of people's faces all over it. Mind you, <laughs> they have done that. They have done multi-picture uh, conferencing on, on uh, The Next Generation. So, yeah. Very true. Very true. Um, Spock gives uh, a, a list down. He does my job. He actually talks about history and he lists everything that's happened in this year. He only talks about one significant assassination but as we've just heard there are actually two now the um assassination of uh, martin luther king actually happened six days after this episode was first aired so they didn't know but they were able to predict something that significant uh they're obviously they're not clairvoyant they didn't know it was going to happen but it's a pretty scary prediction nevertheless um vietnam war is obviously in full uh, swing so talking about a in a eastern country that's a pretty good guess isn't it really that's going to happen and he sort of um you know drops the ball um you know doesn't lead on the most important issue it's when they're launching orbital weapons platforms around the entire planet and completely encasing it in h-bombs so you know he was gradually building up to it it reminded me of our last episode in carbon creek where uh, Mo was talking about human beings having fish sticks, and then oh yeah, nuclear wars as well. You know these Vulcans—they like to you know bury the lead a bit. Yeah, but don't forget, looking at Kirk and Spock, it hasn't happened Very in true. their timeline. So why would they find it in the timeline that they're in if they're looking back? If they said, oh yes, it's there, but maybe we should then let this guy go down and stop it, and then that changes the timeline. So yeah, in our timeline that we're watching. It hasn't happened. <laughs> we get uh, Gary in the red shirt. Um, I love this little scene. Just This red shirt who's just staring at Gary. There's literally no expression on his face, but he sees Gary's just like poking his fingers into the laser grid on the cell. And he's just not even like flinching. He's just looking at him. He's, he's not intimidating him. He doesn't have any lines to say, so clearly they don't want to pay, pay the actor. And um, Gary just stands back and gets out some odd, sort of servo looking uh device that i don't know i would call it maybe a sonic screwdriver maybe something like that yeah it looks a bit like one of those little toys that you can get you know, yeah that people play with on a some other program thing yeah it it, it it put me in mind of something i can't think what it is i don't know i, I don't know a guy he travels through time yeah no, no he's all by himself yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, um, there's uh, uh, just a moment, and he flips it, and he manages to not only take out the laser grid, but he also sends the security guard to sleep. So we've got a red shirt who survives again. Two red shirts in this episode managed to survive a, a fatal catch scratch, uh, cat, cat scratch, and we've got one who just gets put to sleep. Um, 
we finally get McCoy back into the episode, who is basically just there to say he's a human and he's perfect. And that's all he has to do. DeForest Kelly must have been over the moon to get a paycheck for this episode because he does nothing else after this. He's completely out of it. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think Scotty got more lines than he did. And even <laughs> uh, yeah, Chekhov got a couple of lines, but that was it. Yeah. Did Sulu actually say anything? I think. I think there was one episode that he was just relaying something that was already written down that <laughs> Chekhov could have said for him. Uh, it's just, it's just there. Uh, yeah, Gary makes his escape, manages to get to the transporter room. Isis uh, jumps from uh, Spock's lap, and Spock has been, you know, gently uh, stroking the cat and sort of looking after it. He does seem to have an affinity for cats. I've noticed in other episodes as well. But Isis makes his way to the the transporter room, and they escape. Down in New York, we get a long panning shot of this F, uh, this um, office for uh, Gary Seven. Almost like they're setting up the office for, I don't know, maybe use in another episode. I don't know. But uh, they do seem to spend a lot of time looking around this office. It uh, made me think of... Uh, sort of mad men and those sorts of offices i've just watched a load of documentaries on something called disney plus that my device uh, intercepted where it was uh walt disney's office as well it looked very similar to that uh, any thoughts on the design of it uh, I, th- I think i've seen that in a couple of other episodes of the same show somewhere along the line uh, it looks very familiar um but yes, it, it does seem to be... Maybe they're just trying to get as much use as they can out of the set. Maybe that's that's what it is. The, the, the computer looked a bit familiar. Yes, it did, yeah. Yeah, strange that. Anyway, um, the computer is huge. And uh, I do love a good old 1960s size computer. Now, I'm talking to you on a device that's a lot smaller than that. Um, but uh, general thoughts on, you know, what computers used to look like. Yeah, it's always good when you say, and I love the fact that it's hidden behind a <laughs> massive row of books, you know, a big bookshelf, and it comes out the side of the bookshelf. It's this huge thing, which obviously the size of it, what would be considered really a small computer a small uh, supercomputer but it's it's massive uh, and it's got a little screen on it and it's voice activated you don't even need a proper keyboard i mean why all of that i mean they could have just they could have just turned a couple of the books around and there was the interface there that you could speak into or even just say computer you know and just look around the room you know vaguely you know i don't quite need quite need, need this whole huge thing and in what office do you need a safe that big? <laughs> I was thinking about that safe. Um, we first talked on an episode where Spock uh, broke into a safe like a pro. And it's just another one of those safes. So if you know Spock turns up, he can easily crack that thing. No problem whatsoever. But yeah, a giant safe behind a row of very neatly stacked glasses that don't seem to fall off the, the wall. It's very, very strange. Gary Seven uh, says that he is Agent 197. He is a Class 1 supervisor, and he's trying to track down two of the agents who work in his organization, whatever that might be. Um, the computer gives him a bit of sass and talks back to him. Now, uh, I've tried out, um, I think from your time, it's called an Alexa, and uh, they can sometimes get a bit sassy as well. So it's nice to see computers don't change. Uh, and this is a Beta 5 unit, apparently. And uh, we also then find out about the human descendants taken away 6,000 years ago, genetically altered, trained up to be sent back and look after Earth 
for some reason. We do get one line from Gary saying that scientific advancement is advancing much faster than the knowledge surrounding it. And I don't think you can get any more Star Trek in your uh, statements there. Any thoughts on that line? I think it's so true. I think there's a lot of people with iPhones <laughs> that the intelligence of the iPhone is a lot better than the people who use it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird how that statement, uh, as we were just saying in the, the history section, how a lot of everything in this episode just seems to be here at the moment as well. Nothing seems to have changed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back on the Enterprise, um, they're assembling uh, a team to go back down to the planet and try and find Gary and try and minimise any disruption to time. Now, Kirk goes down. Fair enough. He's the captain. He's in charge. He wants to make sure he's on the ground. But he takes Spock. Now, of course, you want Spock. You want your science officer. He's very he's very smart. But he's got a crew of over 400 people, most of which are humans. There's no need to hide Spock uh you know why take spock and nobody else any thoughts on this away mission team i i hadn't really thought about it until you just mentioned it then yeah it is a bit odd when (laughs) sometimes he normally comes up with a historian to go back back in time with and it's always some sexy woman as well um yeah why take his i mean he is pretty handy well we've we've already seen him go back in time before now so he, he he's used to it but yeah to go back and use the old hat over the ears trick again <laughs> oh they fell for it last time let's change in the 19 what was it 1930s 40s yeah yeah they'll fall for it again it's only been a few years <laughs> it worked last time we're absolutely <laughs> fine i like the idea that there is a ship store that can just produce the clothing that they need um you know just on the off chance they were going to go down in 1968. I suppose we could let them off in that maybe they came prepared with costumes uh, as it was historical research, but it seems odd that they've got a ship stores just for making costumes in the event of a time travel mishap. I do take an exception to the fact that what I am considered to be wearing now is a historical costume to somebody <laughs> in the future. Costume? <laughs> It's it's very strange. He says costume department. It's almost like they've got a seamstress somewhere on deck thirteen who who just sits there sewing outfits in case they go down to a planet. Well, isn't, um, that, isn't that why Captain Picard every time he wants a, some new clothes, he just says make it sew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe that's what he's been saying all along, and everyone's been misquoting him and just writing so. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it also explains why uh, Kirk's shirts always get mended in the next episode. If they've got a seamstress, it just comes up and then fixes it after every fight. Um, back in New York, we are back in Gary Seven's apartment. He's talking through with the computer what's going on, what was the mission that the original um, uh, agents were on. And they were talking about how NASA was going to launch a orbital platform for these H-bombs to balance the sense of power. And again, we come back to this idea that it's a load of nonsense. This is something that another planet went through, which was Omicron 4, which is the only time this ever gets mentioned again. Um, but the idea that you could balance power by adding more weapons to the problem rather than taking them away. Any thoughts on that? You caught me flat-footed there. Uh, no, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's but um, yeah, well, with the balance of power, you know, it, 
it's such a heavy-handed message, I think, for uh, what was happening at the time. But as we've heard with the history section, this was going on. The Soviets were already launching a platform like this. There were plans underway by the US to do the exact same thing. Um, you know, Much, much later, we'll have the Ronald Reagan Star Wars program, the idea that we could put lasers into space. But, you know, this the Soviet program that was in the news at the time, it was meant to um, completely eradicate the advantage that NORAD had to track missiles coming over the ocean. So this platform would allow them to launch over the North Pole and just come right over the US, over Canada and straight down. Um, so the idea that you're balancing power by just putting more weapons up there just seems very odd. Um there is a need to sabotage, and apparently that has not been taken. Uh, that has not taken place, and Gary has to step in to fill the role. Kirk and Spock are down on the planet, and yes, as you mentioned, Paul, he has a hat on, and uh, not just any hat. He has a very sort of Russiany looking looking hat. It looks very Russian inspired, sort of fur hat. Now, last time Spock was down on Earth, he was accused of being Chinese. This time, he's got a very Russian-looking demeanor. He's got a Mac coat, almost Russian spy-looking, I think, for the 60s. Surely this guy's got a profile somewhere. You know, there was a guy in 1930s building something that was fizzing and popping in a 1930s apartment. He's here in New York again 30 years later, this time obviously dressed as a spy, hanging out with the same guy, maybe his handler, maybe, you know, the agent in charge of the operation. Um, they don't seem to have aged much, but, you know, here they are 30 years on. Are they are these terrorists again? I don't know. Roberta Lincoln, we then get introduced to Gary's, Gary Seven's new assistant, as it were. Don't uh, hit their friendship straight away. They are going to have a little bit of a back and forth. There's jaunty music this time. So we've moved away from the villain music and we're supposed to think that this is all lighthearted. And I think this is quite a fun little scene where it's just the back and forth between Gary and Roberta. Any thoughts on this when we first meet her? Oh, I love Terry Gar. <laughs> um, she's yeah. I mean, the first time I saw her was in this episode, and I've I've liked a lot of stuff that she's been in, and she's still still being in stuff as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I I do like it. She brings uh, a fantastic character uh, to this uh, show. Uh, she would, without giving too much away, she would have made a a, a fantastic um, partner to to Gary Seven. Um, I do like the back and forth. She brings the comedy element, but she's, although she's um, the comedy uh, element, and she's not so dumb. She's not the dumb blonde. Um, even though she's just a secretary, she picks up on things very quickly, and she's quite smart. Uh, maybe it's a bit of street smart, New York street smart. Um, but I do like the fact that she's, uh, she'll put up a fight. Uh, she'll try and stop people uh, doing bad things. Um, you know, she's got a bit about her, and I, and I think she's. She's a good character in this. I think she would have been really well written going forward. Yeah, uh, she she doesn't strike me as one of the tropes that you often see at this point, and we've seen it in Star Trek as well. Um, you know, there is only one trope I will point out in the fact that they've they've and I I you've probably read the same thing that I have that her skirt is very very short. Yes, um, that's true. Which is more to do with the producer than it is her. 
Absolutely. And this is something that Terry Gard did mention. Um, she often attributes her success to Star Trek in the fact that she got her big break, but at the cost of having to work on Star Trek, which didn't always treat her very well. You've got um, the costume department working, as far as I can work out, on the orders of Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry, to make the skirt shorter. Um, you know, a horrible thing to happen to any actress. But to have it on your big break, you know, the first time you've appeared on screen, a horrible thing to think you had to go through. Um, but, um, but as far as the character is concerned, the way she's written, she's feisty, she's strong, she stands up for herself. She she doesn't just defer to his authority because he's the man. She actually stands up. She actually fights back. She she doesn't take his word for it. She's not just smitten with him. You know, it's not a romance story in any shape or form. They are almost equals. She can actually stand up to him in many ways. And I think that's one of the things that I liked about this character. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's why I think she would have been the better. Well, it would have been a good team between the two the two actors. Um, I would have liked to have seen more of it. I do like the idea that their cover story, though, was to make a new encyclopedia. Uh, of all the things they could possibly do. Uh, you know, they couldn't think that maybe they were investigators, you know, insurance brokers, so that, you know, when they turn up at dangerous situations, it makes perfect sense. No, they're researching a new encyclopedia. Very it, strange. It just so happens that this bank was being robbed and we're on the letter B uh, for <laughs> our encyclopedia. So we were looking at bank robberies. Um yeah and when one another bank robbery happened six months later yeah we had to renew the research we had to update it so we have to keep going back um but the most unrealistic thing we've got time travel we've got aliens from uh thousands of light years away taking humans six thousand years ago everything like this the most unrealistic thing in the whole episode is when gary gives the excuse that isis is a trained cat the idea you could train a cat now, we're podcasters. Most people seem to know that podcasters have cats for some strange reason. Cats get in the way of podcasts. The idea you could train a cat. The most unbelievable cover story I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have uh, two. Well, we did have two cats. We'd had two cats previously. The cat that we currently have at the moment is a black cat, exactly like Gary Seven's black cat. Now, unfortunately, it's a male cat. But I was going to say, if he can transform to the same way as his cat can, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get something totally wrong here. Um, but yeah, it's you cannot train it. You keep bringing in birds and mice, for goodness sake. I mean, it, uh, although although uh, our previous cat did bring in one day a raw sausage. I kid you not. Came in, put it down, we looked at it, we thought, what on earth is that? We thought it was a mouse or something. And No, it's a sausage, a raw sausage. And so we so we sh we shooed him outside. We put it in the bin because we were, well, obviously somebody's having a barbecue somewhere and they've just lost a sausage. <laughs> Ten minutes later, comes in with another one. <laughs> I'm saying, bring the steak, bring the steak, <laughs> not the sausage. We don't want sausages. Bring a steak. No, you know he didn't. He just brought another bird in. You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you can't train cats. After that, uh, Gary Seven then goes back into his office. And he learns that actually the agents before him had died in a car crash. Now, I really liked this moment because uh, as an actor, uh, Robert Lansing, uh, in the other movies I've seen him in, was always a very thoughtful character actor. He always played sort of an authority figure or something like that. But rather than being the blustery American, you know, that kind of typical man, he was always a bit more reserved in some of the other movies I've seen him in and some of the TV work as well. 
And in this moment, it, there's he seems to be throwing a lot more pathos into just one line where he says, you know, something as silly or something as trivial as a car crash. And he seems genuinely upset. Um, it, it really set up his character as someone who feels very deeply for people, despite having this very reserved demeanour. Um, any thoughts on that? Absolutely, yeah. I do like him as an actor. Um, funny enough, I'm, I've seen him in this a few times, obviously watching it again and again. And I keep thinking, what have I seen him in? And I had to go on IMDb to see, you know, what it is I've seen him in before. And he's he up to this point, I think he'd been in one thing, uh, which was a World War Two drama, which obviously must have got him noticed for this uh, particular role and maybe for future roles. Um, other than that, he was just like one part in he did one part in this, one part in that, one part in the other, all the usual TV programs of the time. After this, did the same thing: one part in you know, Kojak, one part in Canon, one part in this, one part in that, one part. Before he gets a couple of roles where he he, he does again, he's he's has a you know, good twenty or so episodes of, of a couple of shows, and then it's one part in this one part, and then he passes away. And I think he was one of the most underrated actors ever to be used. He's such a fantastic actor, and just in this episode, he's he's. I mean, I, I like William Shatner as a, as an actor myself. Uh, you can see his stage background. Put these two together, fantastic. He could, you know, I think he might even be a little bit better than than Shatner because his acting is less stagey and more filmy and TV. Uh, whereas you can see Shatner's come from the stage and gone onto TV to do stage performances. You know, before he sort of brings it back down again. Um, I think he is totally, totally underrated and should have been used in more more things other than just the one standard character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly the same. Um, from all the the westerns I used to see with my dad, all of the the war films that I saw him in, he he just stood out whenever he was on camera. It was just something, a, a presence, like you say. He just seemed to fit that style of the medium, uh, just the way that he actually delivered his characters. And he doesn't seem to be of his time either. I mean, if, if you saw him in anything, you would say, "Ah, oh, when when was this filmed?" Whereas with other people, you can say, "Oh, this is the you know." Uh, if you if you look at any of the original Mission Impossibles, you instantly know you're looking in the 60s. Same with Star Trek, you know, and, and the stuff in the 70s. You're oh yeah, I, I can see the style. He could maybe his hairstyle is is sort of generic, and can span any any year and still look the same. So you can't place him anywhere. And his acting is, um, it, it's not set in that. It, it's set in the period that he's in, but it is not of that time. You know, it is far superior to anything that, 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 of, of, you know, the people that we see in the 50s and 60s. Mm. And it, it, maybe that was a conscious choice, maybe because he knew he was playing a character who, you know, will be sent on missions possibly to different time periods. Perhaps he just knows he has to blend in. It just fits that character of Gary Seven so well, the way he delivered it. Um, speaking of uh, overacting, Kirk bundles his way through that door, <laughs> um, but not before he spends at least three or four seconds of screen time trying to figure out how the doorbell works. Uh, he just sort of looks around as if, what's going on? Um, I, I imagine, you know, someone from the 23rd century, we don't come across doorbells very often, um, and maybe other than at Starfleet Academy where we've got door handles. Other than that, yeah, fair enough. But he barges in, and rather than trying to lay on the Kirk charm, which we've seen a million times before, he says, where's Gary Seven? straight in with it um gary then flees he then uh, beams to a mckinley rocket base where he needs to complete the mission and sabotage the rocket 
Now, at this point, um, we're sort of being told as the audience that maybe we shouldn't be trusting Gary Seven. But Gary Seven, on his own, with no reason to lie, he's trying to convince the computer that he's what who he says he is. He said that his mission is to protect humanity. We, the audience, really have no reason to mistrust him now. You know, he had no reason to lie to the computer. We know he's on some sort of peaceful mission to look after humanity. But the whole way through, we're also being like told in the music, the performances of um, both um, William uh, Shatner and also Leonard Nimoy, that there's a, some urgency to it. And it just seems really weird that they were playing both angles. You know, we know we can trust Gary at this point, yet we're still being shown that he's the bad guy. Surely, as we said before, Kirk should have worked this out earlier. Yeah, all you have to do is listen to the music. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Just for once, listen to the overture. Um, they uh, run through. Uh, they are being chased by the police who um, uh, Roberto has called on them. The police run in after them and Kirk asks for a wide beam out. They beam straight up to the Enterprise with the uh, two police officers. They rush off the transporter pad and beam them back down again. And these two police officers are just dumbfounded by it. And we get the, uh, Charlie. I really wish we could see more of these police officers. Uh, any thoughts on that moment? Well, I thought we had. I thought one of these police officers uh, reminded me. You know, a lot of these American cops, they always seem to have like an Irish background. Yeah, it's very strange. It is, yeah. I think uh, Charlie has a bit of an Irish background in him, but it's more of a, an Irish foreground, maybe. Maybe, yeah. He looks very familiar. He must be uh, one of these descendants from somebody in the future, I think. Yeah, I think um, it, he looks really similar to a guy that I went to the academy with, um, whose last name I think was Finnegan, I think. But I can't, no, I can't think of that. Yeah, it's an Irish, it's an Irish guy. Anyway, exactly, yeah. it's definitely an Irish. Yeah, yeah. It's an Irish rogue uh, of something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he likes. I mean, he's very, very physical. Very, you know, he, he can run around, up and down, jump off rocks and things. Yeah, he's that sort of. He's got that feel about him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gary materializes uh, next to a sign saying "liquid hydrogen." Probably not the safest beam in location, but there we go. And uh, he manages to outwit the uh, switched-on security guard, I thought, Lipton, uh, who uh, asks for some ID, realises he needs to phone it in. But he's using his NSA um, uh, ID card. Now, earlier, Gary got hold of these papers. He's got NSA, he's got CIA, and for some reason, the computer gave him a New York homicide card. So... What exactly did the computer think he was going to be doing? Yeah. Thought, <laughs> no, yeah. Talk about covering all bases. I mean, comes into the base. Uh, yeah, I believe uh, uh, homicide. I believe there's been a murder here somewhere. <laughs> what? <laughs> that doesn't work. CIA you can do. NSA, yeah, to a degree. But homicide? <laughs> yeah. He rolls in with a lollipop stick out of his mouth. He goes, oh, who loves you, baby? Oh, no, hang on. I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> In a wheelchair or something, you know. He pulls up in a red Torino with a stripe down the side. What? 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 <laughs> um, uh, Gary uh, knocks him out using the same servo. He manages to send him to sleep. He's a very nice chap. Doesn't use any weapons. Just puts them to sleep. And uh, Kirk and Spock are back on the Enterprise using one of the weather satellites that Scotty has hijacked to visual scan the surface of the planet. Uh, 
I'm surprised we never see this kind of thing uh, ever again, that uh, they don't reach a, an advanced civilization somewhere and just hijack their satellites to just watch the planet. Uh, it would make so much more sense. It's a heck of a weather satellite that can show that sort of imaging as well. Exactly. Um, not only that, it can move around in time because, uh, you know, obviously the rocket is uh, sat there on the on the launch pad and then uh, you zoom in a bit closer and it's um, on the transport transporter about four miles before that. And then they show a close-up again. It's surrounded by a scaffold. It's a bit weird, uh, but yes, uh, it's amazing the way you can look at things like that. Well, clearly, uh, on McKinley Rocket Base, they were just moving the rockets around just because they thought they could. You know, uh, maybe you know uh, Dave and Jeff, uh, the construction crew, they're just on the on the site and they're saying uh, more to the left, more to the left. No, no, right, right, right. Bring it over, bring it over a bit more. They're you know, just moving some rockets around. They're a rocket base. They've got so many of them, they just don't know where to put them. Yeah, certainly is because it's, 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 every time they look at it, it's a different rocket. <laughs> Uh, Gary's got away. He's hiding in the boot of a car for the guy who's running the facility, um, who's uh, named Cromwell, uh, the last name Cromwell. Uh, the last time I came across that name was a few centuries ago in my research. And it's also the name of a of an actor, I think. Uh, he might have actually appeared in Star Trek as well. Hmm, strange about that. Um, uh, Oliver, I think his name was. Yeah, I think Oliver. Yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah, Oliver Cromwell in history. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Kirk and Spock arrive and beam in at the exact same point that uh, Lipton is taking his little nap. But Lipton seems to wake up at the sound of the transporter. Now, this is something that I, I've always wondered about all of Star Trek, not just this episode. How noisy is the transporter? Uh, because it woke him up from being asleep. Later in this episode, Kirk will make a discreet exit by being beamed out of a certain room full of people and no one seems to notice. So, any thoughts on how loud the transporter must be? Well, if it's as loud as we hear it, then, yeah, um, maybe when you beam in, it makes that noise, because you, you have to fill the space with a human being, so the air has to move out the way. So it could be a fizzling sound, or a popping sound as they appear. Um, but then again, I suppose it's the same when you beam out. If you beam out, you leave a vacuum, and you know, it would maybe it's a quite, just a quieter sort of a sort of noise rather than a pop or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. That's very good. Uh, but it's just always made, made me wonder, like, you know, if it can make noise, can you ever have a discreet entrance when you're being beamed in? Who knows? Um, at this point in the episode, nothing really seems to happen. <laughs> There's a full seven minutes on screen where it's just back and forth between Scotty trying to find Gary Gary is up by the rocket trying to adjust it and sabotage it. Kirk is being detained and taken in uh, for questioning um, along with Spock. You've got Roberta back in the office tinkering around with the, um, uh, the devices on the wall and also inside the safe. And there's not, there's no conversation. There's just the tension building up with, you know, the countdown clock going off. Things are going uh, wrong with the launch but nothing's really happening. <laughs> there's there's no one pushing the plot forward. Um, was that noticeable to you? Did you feel like there was a, it, it was an odd sort of seven minutes in the episode? It was very much a tension builder, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, is he going to destroy this? Is he tampering with it? Is he? You know, what's he doing? Scotty's trying to find him, and even though his weather satellite seems to be ground based and looking up the 
as I'm looking at it now on the screen here. Um, yeah, it is uh, very much, uh, you know, to, to show the inside of the, of the control room and then back to Spark and then back up to Scotty and back to Gary. And it, and it is, but as you say, the, it's purely down to the music that's making, you know, that's building this tension. But other than that, it's just people just twiddling knobs and zooming, <laughs> zooming in on, on screens and things and you know, <laughs> fiddling around with wires and... You know. <laughs> Uh, we come back with a captain's log uh, and Kirk is talking about being helpless and feeling helpless, which plays in again to the idea that the, the Star Trek episode that's going on, you know, this isn't our crew. This isn't the normal people. They're not sort of doing their normal thing. It's almost like this episode isn't about them. And it put me actually in mind of the feeling I got when I watched the finale of Star Trek Enterprise with These Are The Voyages. It's almost as though... The Enterprise crew is inconsequential to the plot. The main plot is something entirely different. Any thoughts on that? You're right, actually, to bring up the... uh, Yes, that last episode of Enterprise, it is very much a... uh, um, Star Trek takes a a backseat to this main... uh, Another episode of another programme, basically. Um, It is very much the, um, the, the Gary Seven and Roberta show it's not the the star trek show that we're used to yeah um roberta manages to intercept the enterprise who finally get a fix on gary um by playing around with dials she had no idea what she was doing but somehow she managed to save him he's now brought into the office but there's still uh, a bit of mistrust between roberta and gary and uh roberta actually knocks out Gary uh, for a short few seconds with uh, a cigar box by the looks of things. He's just there cradling his head. Um, but uh, The sound that that makes when she hits him, I went, ow, that really did hurt. But she, how come he can withstand a Vulcan nerve pinch and yet he gets whacked over the head with a cigar box? <laughs> this guy. Who knows? Maybe it's made of lead or something? I don't know. Oh, my dear, perhaps it's kryptonite. Oh, that's true. We did have a green glowing box earlier that was talking to him. So true. Could yeah. be. Um, uh, she's uh, having a back and forth, and she's talking about how, you know, in her generation they're crazy and rebels, but she does care about her country. Now, I thought this was very interesting. In my previous episode, we had the Summer of Love in 1967. We had the hippie move, uh, the movement where, you know, the establishment saw them as anti-government and they were destroying the country. And here you have a character who's encapsulating the spirit of, say, the Summer of Love and the hippie movement and wanting to progress life forward. But she's saying that she does love her country and that she is nationalistic and that she does have leanings in that sort of direction as well. And I think it's another layer, another complex layer on that character that I really liked about her, that she um, does love her country. She wants to do her duty, but she is this free spirit that she can see that there, there's room to improve. Uh, any thoughts on that, on what she says? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's you know, the oh, apple pie, all-American all, all American man, you would normally say, but in this case, it's a woman. It's great. It, it's a uh, you know, patriot. And, you know, it's the sort of person that you want on your side. You know, that's the sort of person that they're aiming for. You know, these are the good guys. You know, we're all like Superman and Lois Lane. And, yeah, that's what, that's what you want in a, in a, a show. Whilst they're distracted, whilst everyone working at the base uh, are distracted, Kirk gets his beam out, completely silent, and manages to get out uh, and beam back into Gary Seven's apartment. Uh, He's there with his phaser, holding Gary back. 
Spock tries to do his best. Now, Spock can figure out many, many alien computers like that. But for some reason, he can't work out Gary's computer. Again, it's almost like he's not working at his best. And we're trying to show that Gary is the best. Um, well, well, what, I mean, what about the fact that, that Kirk doesn't even try to talk the computer out of it? <laughs> exactly. His one defining trait is that he can talk computers to destroy themselves. And he doesn't do it. In fact, considering this computer looks a lot similar to, I think, an M5 computer... Uh, in Starfleet at this time as well. Very strange that it didn't work. Yeah, uh, but don't forget, Gary Seven does have the cat. <laughs> Very true. Um, there is a line uh, as uh, Gary is trying to convince Roberta mainly that um, what do you think the best thing to do would be is to go to other worlds in strange alien forms, or would it be to take some of their own, train them up, and bring them back? Now it almost sounds like the antithesis of star trek <laughs> that we don't go to strange new worlds as we are we have to be a bit more subverting or a bit more um through the back door um any thoughts on his line about that so that he's defending a different way of doing things yeah again he's, he's setting something up here isn't he he's rather than um yeah to say this is not what this is not Star Trek. You know what what we're doing here is totally different. We're gonna we're not going to do the same things the same uh, the things the same way that they do. Uh, we do things differently, uh, maybe better. But uh, yeah, it's it also opens itself up to that's why all these alien abductions were happening in the in the fifties and thirties and forties and fifties. Maybe maybe that was a, a thing. Very true. Um, Spock can't do it but Gary can and he does he manages to detonate the warhead a uh, hundred or so miles above the earth's surface and uh, we get a cut over to now Gary is giving his report and saying what had actually happened to the typewriter that is listening to every word he says and in the corner are Kirk and Spock apparently just watching him do this as if they're just off to the side to be forgotten these two great characters we've been watching for two seasons and here's gary giving the full report uh, as he goes the next thing that spock does is that he mentions that um in their records the warhead exploded and everything was fine now surely they should have found that record sooner than that <laughs> it should have taken them living through the incident to look up the record my only thought is did maybe a record unlock, uh, you know, once it's actually happened? Did someone back at Starfleet headquarters put it in the file, but it doesn't unlock until the moment happens? Any thoughts on that? Well, that's a clever, it's a cleverer uh, idea than I've had. I mean, I, I uh, just assumed that they were so busy trying to stop uh, Gary Seven doing what he was doing that they didn't really have time to go off and look. Although they could have just said to Scotty, hey, Scotty, go through the databanks and see what you can find on this date or get somebody else. Or if there's a historian, there's always a 20th century historian knocking around somewhere that could have looked it up for them or something. But I assumed that they just did not have the time because we saw them on screen all the time um, to actually go and physically look and check this out until it's all over. Then they look back and went, oh, silly us, actually, uh, we got it wrong you always have to read the footnotes you have to make sure you get all the extra notes um 
there's a nice little play where um, Kirk then says, we can't reveal everything that we know about. And um, that seems fine. You know, actually, that seems to fit in with Temporal Prime Directive. Don't give any information away. Only for Spock to completely ruin that and say, actually, I think we'll find they're going to have some very interesting experiences. So Kirk was fine, but Spock this time completely broke Prime Directive by even alluding to them having a relationship beyond this episode. And I think at this point, everyone who's listening to this episode realizes we're going to talk about it, that this was going to be the pilot for a Gary Seven TV show. And your thoughts, Paul, on that? I wanted it. I wanted it because it, it mainly because um, uh, Robert Lansing, uh, his character was so good. I mean, his his acting was was so good. Um, and Terry Gar, obviously, you know, when I first saw this, I was still a young lad, so I sort of fancied her a bit. And um, it was, but but no, no, yes, she was very attractive. But also, she was a great character. She was a feisty person. She could fight. She could, you know, talk to him as an equal in some cases, or even as a better, uh, saying, you know, you're not touching my. You know, what was one of the things? Oh, that's right. She was she was saying about leaving and everything like that, and he was saying. Oh well, actually, you're not acting, and he's oh through through my uh, uh, my stupidity of, of whatever word he uses, um, I I have gone and shown you things that you shouldn't have seen yet. So he admits that he was, you know, he was wrong, and she was actually just being herself and and, and normal. So, uh, but she had, she was speaking to him, saying, "Look, I don't know who you are, but you know, I'm I'm going to quit, you know, I'm blah, 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 and all this." Quite happily to do all of that. Uh, so yeah, great characters. Uh, I would have liked to have seen the show carry on and. and be developed and, and see what would have happened um obviously we didn't get that but uh yeah i would have liked to have seen it any thoughts on obviously uh we're now a month out uh recording this episode from the announcement of strange new worlds which is a tv show based on a pilot from the 1960s this is a pilot from the 1960s and there are still many star trek projects coming out do you think that they might do a gary seven show now doubtful uh, because uh, it is, I don't, we're, we're going to we're going to mention this at some point. This is going to be basically Doctor Who, yes. um, the man who who moves around through time, fixing things. Probably it was going to be based on Earth, but you never know. They might they might have expanded it. Um, the sonic screwdriver, the uh, the attractive assistant. Um, maybe they could change the characters later on if they wanted to. You know, bring in a different. Um, officer of the day or of the week or of the month of the season, whatever. Um, I I wonder whether it was sort of made and maybe was going to be put forward as um, something that could go up against Doctor Who um, or become the American Doctor Who. And maybe the executives looked at it and said, oh, "God, what you mean that crappy little British black and white TV thing? Why should we? Yeah, you know, we're not going to bother with that." But had they had they made it, I think Doctor Who would have finished. I would have think they'd looked at it and said, "We can't go up against that. We'll just buy that instead," and they would have had the um, you know, the Gary Seven show uh, instead of what we now have as Doctor Who. So I think it could have quite easily killed it off. It was. A, mm. uh, I, th- I think it was going to be a game changing. It was certainly a game changing decision because in not doing it, Doctor Who continued and has become as big as it has now. Mm. Um, had it have gone ahead, I think Doctor Who would have finished. This would have carried on in one way or another. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, Doctor Who predates Star Trek as well. I mean, you've got 1963 being the first episode. And the format of sort of 
the lead authority male figure and a sidekick or a companion who is female is nothing new throughout TV. I mean, throughout that time, I mean, I was looking through some of the other TV shows that were a similar kind of concept. You've got the Avengers, which started in 1961. So you've got Emma Peel and, you've, uh, and everyone. Uh, and that lasted for many, many years. But again, you know, male authority figure, female companion. You've got um, the comedy, which was uh, Adam Adamant Lives, which was about an Edwardian um, sort of, uh, Sherlock Holmes type character who gets frozen in time and then reawakened in the 1960s and then becomes a dashing adventurous spy type character he also had a female companion uh, that was in 1966 again predating all of this you've got uh, other shows in the states you've got the champions who were three hero characters, two male, one female, who got strange powers, looking out for humanity and, and sort of saving the world. You had Danger Man, which was another one where, you know, it was a, a spy, so it wasn't as fantastical, but he was a guy traveling the world, trying to stop things from happening. Um, all the way up to the 70s, and you've got things like Sapphire and Steel, which um, had uh, Ilya Kuryakin himself, uh, you know, in, in the 79. Uh, Joanna Lumley, I think, was uh, was uh, Sapphire. And these were two aliens, male and a female, trying to change the destinies and, and everything that's going on in the world and stopping strange events. You know, it's nothing new. But the setup in this episode is done so well. You've got Gary, who is very mysterious and, and plays it so well. Um it's such a shame that it was never exploited that it didn't even go to a season just to sort of give it a chance um looking through the show notes that it was going to be him versus like an evil set of aliens called the omegans who were going to infiltrate parts of society and all this sort of stuff uh, i don't know i think maybe it could work today but with a slightly different twist perhaps it was gary's seven you know gary's team of seven uh, and uh, you know, hasn't somebody done that before? Some fella called Blake. Yeah. Oh yeah, could be. Yeah, could be. Maybe yeah, if Gary then disappeared, and then it's just six of them uh, throughout the rest of the episodes. Maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, but just I don't know. I think I think they'd be they'd be eager to take an existing property which presumably they own because it's still under the same umbrella of. Whoever owns TOS gets this episode as well, so gets the characters. I think it's too tempting, isn't it, for, for CBS now to think, we've got a ready-made show here. We could just you know work off of that. Gar Gary Seven has died. Maybe they're going to send in Steve Eight and you know <laughs> keep changing it and you know, do something like that. Um, there's so many things they could possibly do. And then you know, hop between time periods, different planets, uh, all in the background. You know, they were talking about the Section 31 show. You know, just ditch that and keep the Gary Seven bit. You know, have it different, have it work uh, some other way. That's a good point, yeah. I mean, CBS would have to do it because they own the rights to the characters. So, yes, the writers couldn't. They would have to change names if somebody else was going to do it. Yeah, maybe that's that's the thing. But, yeah, it, it could have it could have had legs. It could have had legs. Uh, but, sadly, it'll never be. Um, right. Well, that's uh, location. We've done our ratings criteria. So we've got LCAR's system. We've located our point in time. We've talked about the episode. We're going to move on to continuity. Are there any events in this episode that you feel affect continuity and would change history 
at all. Uh, well, again, as we've seen uh, at the end of the show, they say nothing has changed. But also, this really is only between three people, four people, if you like, two of which would have gone on to do their own things, so they're not really related. And if they've gone off into the galaxy and done those things, then we've not heard about it, and any changes of, of you know, they make will continue. It's, it's the same timeline, so it's fine. Um, Spock and, and, and Kirk have minimal um, interactions with people, although it... How uh, the police guy in the uh, McKinley Air Base is going to say uh, how he fell asleep and two people got out is a different <laughs> thing. You know, he, he, he may got the sack. I don't know. Um, so and no, I don't. I don't think there's too much interactions with other people that are going to affect things. And it is pretty much between the four of them. It's locally, it's contained. It, yeah, I don't think there's too much happening there. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Spock's line at the end, that saves it by just saying this was always supposed to happen. The Enterprise played its part. We had no idea until we read this file. That's it. It's just saved us from any kind of uh, time disasters or uh, unintended continuity. I did think that maybe the two police officers uh, may have been uh, either laughed off the force or perhaps became informants for Gary and then Gary had to take them on to sort of say, well, okay, you were beamed aboard a starship. That's actually from your future. You've got to work from me now. And they were going to be like his heavies, his red shirts for the Gary Seven show. So well, maybe there would have been something there. Maybe, yeah, maybe uh, one of them said, look, I'm really cheesed off with this Captain Kirk business. And he said, well, look, what I can do is I can take you through to the 23rd, 24th century uh, we'll drop you off in this academy, and you can uh, get friends with him there. And then a bit later on, you can really pee him off by being really annoying. <laughs> he hates the name Jimmy Boy. Just keep <laughs> Jimmy Boy all the way through. Um, and if when you make all your taunts, make sure there's like a jaunty sort of Irish music playing in the background. You'll be absolutely fine. You'll be well away. <laughs> yeah, just put on this. Put on, but you know, beef up your, your Irish accent a bit. You know, be 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 a bit stereotypical. <laughs> eat a potato or something <laughs> but yes but for continuity uh, I'm not seeing any changes here so I think we're both agreed on that one so uh, A alterations now I think we've already pretty much covered this uh, with um, the episode is there anything you would want to see changed anything you want to see adapted expanded on I think we know where this is going. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The, the, the change I would like to see is whoever said, no, I don't want to do this uh, as a TV show, I want him sacked. Um, and I want uh, Tony Garter to go on and have a really good uh, um, uh, career in, in starting off you know, right from the start. And so she started with this and then goes on to instantly into a big series where she can do you know, a lot of work and have a successful career after that. Uh, I'd like to see more Robert Lansing and... Yeah, it, it should have it should have gone ahead. Yeah, it really should. No, there's no argument from me on that one. Uh, there's literally nothing else I can say that other than give us a Gary Seven show of some kind. Uh, link it in. Maybe have an episode that will allude to it. You know, in Picard or Discovery or whatever that will actually finally answer the riddle of who they were. Just something, just to sort of give it a payoff. Maybe. Strange um, new worlds. Put it in strange new worlds. Oh, Strange New Worlds, perfect. It's almost in the same era, isn't it? I mean, it's the same yeah. time, a little bit, uh, a little a little bit, bit after it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but obviously, Gary then is the one with the upper hand because he recognises the Enterprise. You know, it's, oh, wait a minute, you're a different captain. This is from earlier in the time period. So he can then get the upper hand as uh, as opposed to the other way when Kirk uh, had the, all the cards. Um, right, recommendations. Do we recommend this episode to Star Trek fans? 
Ooh, now there's a good one. To mm. Star Trek fans, yes. Uh, it's a time travel episode. It's um, it's canon. It works. It's fine. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. It's fun. It's, it's got a little bit of fun to it. Yeah, I'd recommend it. See, now this is the thing I have with this episode. As we've been saying, it doesn't feel like a Star Trek episode necessarily because it feels like a Gary Seven episode or, as it was, a pilot episode. The characters of the show aren't behaving as you'd imagine they should do. It hasn't for the last two seasons on TOS. We've had all the characters being very competent, and in this episode, they're they're sort of a little behind the curve. They they don't seem to be the people we've known the whole way through. So when I'm recommending this episode to Star Trek fans, I'm probably saying yes, but with a caveat of it's not really a Star Trek episode. Don't expect our crew to be the main focus. It's like um, saying to people, I think you should watch this episode of The Flash because it contains the arrow. Yes. It's a crossover episode. And I think this uh, works because you could say, here's an episode of Star Trek. You know the people in Star Trek. You know, so you know where it's going to lead and what's going to happen. But it's really, you know, the pilot for this show and so you can, you know where you stand with the Star Trek bit. That's the, yeah, that's the easy bit. We're in the same universe. We're in the same timeline. What do you think of this, as a, as a you know a separate program? So yeah, I, I you know I I, I would say, yeah the caveat being it's a crossover show. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, to non Star Trek fans, do we recommend this episode? Hmm. Now then, it's a little bit harder, isn't it? Because <laughs> if I was to show this to my sons, who do know Star Trek um, and know the characters uh, well enough, um, I don't think they would be that interested because they like Star Trek, so therefore they want to see the Star Trek characters. And there isn't enough of that in there. It, it's uh, They're not being, like you say, themselves, so it would look a bit strange to them why they're not doing this. So probably not. You know. Yeah, uh, I was along the same lines. It's it's different to Star Trek. So if you were more into um, you know your spy adventures and that sort of thing, your time capers, but you weren't really in for the spaceships and everything like that, then maybe you would go for it. But it's a great analogy you just made with you know watching Flash, but having the Arrow in it and all this sort of thing. You know, I've fallen behind on uh, Legends of Tomorrow, but I've kept up with Flash whilst I'm stuck in this time bubble. I might as well watch some other things besides Star Trek. Um, but, you know, I'm aware of the Flash story, but I've sort of lost track of the Legends of Tomorrow. So if I was to suddenly watch an entire episode of Flash where most of the characters were the Legends, it would kind of throw me off. And I was like, well, I kind of want to know more about what Barry's doing because I've been listening to him for the last couple of weeks. So I think for non-fans, I would say no, but with the caveat of saying it gives a little bit more depth to the series. So maybe come back to it later. Mm. So do a rewatch of Star Trek and come back later. Yeah, yeah, that works. It's a real difficult episode. When I was trying to think of this, why did I pick these ratings criteria? This is much more difficult for this episode than any other time. Um, And lastly, do we recommend to the godlike entities? Does this episode have to happen for it to be important on the grand scheme of things for Star Trek? No. no, because it's set in the past. It's really not the show. They've just done a bit of historical research, which turns out to be 
well, they had it anyway, so I don't know why they went back to research it. If they if they'd looked back in the episode in the in the records and said, well, well, we're going to, going to go back to 1968. Uh, what happened then? Uh, uh, well, okay, well, we don't know enough about it. Let's go back and, and find out. They must have seen it somewhere that this happened. They must have read it. This is poor, poor research. This unless they have no idea what happened at all. And yep. oh, I, don't, I don't know. No, so it, it doesn't really it doesn't really exist as, as a Star Trek episode because it happened in the past. Everything happened as it should have done. There's no knock on effect. You could take it out of the series and it wouldn't make any difference. Yeah, um, I'm likewise. Yeah, I'm going to echo your same thoughts again. It it just feels like because it's more about Gary, because the events sort of loop around and they were always supposed to happen anyway. There is no cosmic uh, cosmic significance to it to what's going on uh, in the episode. So to the godlike entities, I'm not going to recommend at all. So. That's it. We're going to now set up our last episode, but thank you very much, Paul, for joining me on this episode yet again. I believe I've got you coming back next time as well. Yes, yes. Uh, another episode, uh, which is time travel in the 60s, is it? I, can't, I, I believe it might, be, it might even be the exact same crew, but this time... I think they're going to 1969, so we only have to jump one more year. Do you mind me leaving you on hold for another year? Oh, uh, again, I've been on hold for, like, so long, and now you put me on hold for another year. I promise, oh. the music gets a lot better next time. Oh, it's, it's so terrible. It's the same thing over and over again. Oh, that dreaded... Oh, it's horrible. It's synthesizer music from the 80s. I, I promise uh, the next lot will be uh, Argolian ceremonial rhythms. They're much nicer to listen to, so very, very nice. Depends um, what the so... ceremony is. <laughs> um, join me next time, and Paul, next time, as we go to Season 1 of TOS. Tomorrow is yesterday, and we are starting again at the very beginning of the episode, at zero minutes and zero seconds. Uh, so join us next time for another great episode and i'll see you in the next time stream if you'd like to contact the show there's now a twitter account search temporal trek podcast at rider underscore coattail or contact me directly at hitch underscore daniel i'm also on instagram daniel underscore hitch underscore writer there's also a website with all of the timestamps you need to follow along. Go to ridingcoattails.simplesite.com and click the Temporal Trek page link. The show is always going to be free, there's no Patreon at all. But if you wish to financially contribute to the show, feel free to find my books by searching me, Daniel Hitch, on Amazon. And we'll catch you in the next time stream. <laughs>